Tonight's shir is sponsored by Jared and Hannah Weber in honor of his grandfather Ephraim ben Yosef. His neshama should have an aliyah. I also just found out there's a very special yard site tonight. This is the uncle of Renana and Tamima's grandfather, Uncle Mendel. And uh, Davida just told me the amazing story that when he was in Auschwitz, he told his, his nephew that uh, he doesn't think he's going to make it. He was older, older and weaker. But uh, he said, likely you're not going to know when I pass away. But yet I know that we will have Eretz Yisrael. And whenever that day is, our day of independence, please light a yardside candle for me on that day. So ever since it's been in the family. So Uncle Mendel's Neshama should have an Aliyah as well. <clears throat> the share this evening is our hope of 2,000 years. We know that these two days on the calendar in Eretz Yisrael are major days in many places in America as well. We just came off of Yom HaZikaron this morning at 11 o'clock a.m., they had the sirens go off in Israel with uh, two minutes of silence to remember and recall all of the people who gave their lives defending our brothers and sisters. And then tonight is known as Yom Atzmaut, the, uh, the Day of Independence. And it's celebrated in different ways, in different circles. Some say Hallel, some say Hallel with the Bracha, some don't say Hallel at all. Everyone does their thing according to their Mesorah. What I'd like to do, though, is focus on one line in Hatikva, not a common place to start. It's not an ancient source. It's a poem that was composed in the 1800s, and we know that it was made into the, the national anthem of Israel. Odlo avda tikvatenu. Bach not alpayim. For 2,000 years, we have not lost our hope. I'd like to explore if that's true like to delve into whether or not that has been the case over 2,000 years. And I'd also like to explore what exactly that hope is, why do we have it, and where does it come from? There's the Sefer, the Seder Hadoros, written by Rabbi Chiel Helprin, who is a well-known historian, tremendous Talmud Chacham. And famously, he quotes from the Sma. The Sma was one of the great commentators in the Shulchan Aruch, the Sma explained that there were terrible gezeros, terrible decrees that were taking place in worms in Germany, going back hundreds of years. And he said that the truth is, if you go back into the origins of the community of worms, after the Churban Bayas Rishon, after the first Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, during the time of exile, the 70 years between the first temple and the second temple, there was a Jewish community that was created in worms. Once the Jews, and the majority of the Jews we know were living in, in Bavel during the time of exile, once they were granted permission to go back to Yerushalayim and rebuild, to rebuild the Bayasheni, they sent a message to all the Jews who were living, living in Worms, and they said, please join us. And uh, if you're living in Eretz Yisrael, you'll come together with us for the Shlosh Regalim. You'll be there close to Yerushalayim. 
but they paid no heed to this, and they wrote back in a letter, they said, Atem Yerushalayim Hagadola, you're in the great Yerushalayim, Vinachnu Noder Po Yerushalayim Kitana. But we're living in the small Yerushalayim and we're just fine. Thank you very much. So this is one example of a community that lost their hope, lost their belief, lost their anticipation of going back to Eretz Yisrael. They were fine and secure and comfortable where they were living in Germany. We fast forward to the late 1800s, 1885 here in America, there was the Pittsburgh Platform, where the leaders of the Reform Movement got together to uh, officially document and write down their, their perspective on what Judaism should be. They have eight stanzas. I want to share with you two ideas. In one paragraph they write, that today we accept as binding only its moral laws, the moral laws of the Torah, and maintain only such ceremonies as elevate and sanctify our lives, but reject all such as are not adapted to the views and habits of modern civilization. That's a pretty convenient move right there, <laughs> right? If it feels good, continue doing it. If it's not accepted by modern society, whatever defines modern society, then we'll totally reject that and, and move on. But based on this whole philosophy of reforming Judaism, they write in the second paragraph here, we consider ourselves no longer a nation, but a religious community, and therefore expect neither return to Palestine, nor a sacrificial worship under the sons of Aaron, nor the restoration of any of the laws concerning the Jewish state. That's old school. And we know that the, the Sidurim they created in Germany, they changed Shemona Esrei substantially. One of the main things they took out of the davening was any mention of returning or yearning or davening for Yerushalayim, for Tzion. So of the Odlo, of the Tikvateinu has not been true throughout all of history. And it's not limited to these two cases of Jews living in Worms, Germany, or Jews living in Pittsburgh in 1885, if you really picture ourselves anywhere on the globe, at any point in time throughout the last 2,000 years, it would have been pretty difficult to have an Amuna Shalema that we will again have Eretz Yisrael in a way where we could go there and we could visit and we could live there and we could talk about Shmuli you have the choice. You could either have all your friends will make a party for your bar mitzvah, or we'll go with the family to Eretz Yisrael, and you'll have your bar mitzvah by the koso. When did that conversation ever take place in the history of our, of a whole existence? That's that stuff that dreams are made out of. Rabbi Yehuda HaLevi, in the 11th century, he was known for his, his burning love for Eretz Yisrael. The famous kinah that we say on Tisha B'av, Tzion halo tisholi lishlo maserayich. Will you not inquire, Tzion, of the welfare of those who are imprisoned within you? Dorshe shlomech, those who seek out your welfare. Vehem yeser adarayich, the remnants of your flocks. 
Shalom Asir Tikva, the welfare of literally, it means those who are imprisoned with hope. No saying demov ketel harmon, they shed their tears like the dew of Mount Hermon, v'nichsaf l'radtam al and they yearn that their tears should fall on your mountains. So what is he talking about? The, the people who are asir tikva, who are trapped in your hope. So the, the art scroll translation of this, and it, Baruch Hashem, they do an amazing job. So they translate asir tikva as those who are imprisoned, but yet they're filled with hope. So although we're trapped, although we're limited, although we can't do much, we still have hope. Says of Yosef Dov Salavechik, a whole different angle. Asir Tikva means we are trapped in hope. The very nature, the very DNA of Klal Yisrael is that we're forever living a world of optimism. No matter how dark, no matter how bleak, no matter how depressing things may seem, no matter the fact that I'm in the middle of Auschwitz, I somehow know there's going to be, you know, Yidin and Jews in Eretz Yisrael. We're Asir Tikva. The Das Torah is, the Torah perspective is, we're trapped in hope. That's how we continue. That's how we survive for 3,000 years. So what are we hoping for? What is this, this emotional connection that we have with Eretz Yisrael? I'd like to go through a couple of, of sources that are ultimately difficult to understand. And hopefully through having a couple poignant questions that will lead us into the direction of a new and, and a meaningful understanding of what exactly our relationship is and should be with Eretz Yisrael. The Sefer Haredim was written in the 1500s in Svas. He was one of the, the great Kabbalists of that time, living in the area where Kabbalah was thriving. And he has a section on the mitzvah of living in Eretz Yisrael. We're not going to get into the halachic ramifications of that today. There's a whole discussion in the halachic literature. What is that mitzvah? When does it apply? But it says the Sefer Haredim. Tzorach kol ish Yisrael lechabev es Eretz Yisrael. Every Jew must love Eretz Yisrael. V'lovo alav me'af se'aretz b'tshuka gedola. And we should go with a yearning, with a desire for it. Keben el cheik imo, like a child goes to the lap of his mother. That should be our emotional feeling towards Eretz Yisrael. Ki techilas avoneinu shenik belonu bechiladoros. If you go back in time, why was it that we were not allowed into Eretz Yisrael? When Moshe sends the Miraglim, the spies go in and they, they share the negative report with Klal Yisrael. That was based on, like the Pasuk in Tehillim explains, they despised the beautiful land. That's what stopped us from going to Eretz Yisrael in the first place. The Miraglim and all of Klal Yisrael, through their negative report, they despised Eretz Yisrael. So when we go to Eretz Yisrael, or we have a yearning for it, it should be like a child going to the lap of his mother. He says, that's why the Gemara tells us that Amarayim, right, the great sages of the Talmud, when they would go to Eretz Yisrael, what would they do? 
they would get down on their hands and their knees and they would kiss the stones and the dirt. That's how they would express that love. I once saw that Rav Cook was bothered by the question, why are they kissing the stones and the dirt? Why not a flower? Why not something that grows? So he explained, because there are special mitzvahs we have in Eretz Yisrael, mitzvahs that are dependent on the land, on the produce, truma and meiser and other things. They wanted to show that we have Ava Aza, we have this powerful love for Eretz Yisrael, putting aside all of the special mitzvahs we could do, just being here, kissing the dirt and the stones, you can't do anything with those things. That's the love we have for Eretz Yisrael. The Sefer Charedim concludes, he says that when Avram Avinu was first told to go to the land that Hashem would show him, he had no special desire to go there. He didn't hear about it from his father or grandfather. He never saw any pictures of his friends who were there for their bas mitzvah. So he didn't really care that much. If Hashem tells me to do something, I'll do something. However, says the Sefer Haredim, Acher Shebo Shama Pam once Avram went there the first time and he saw through his prophecy the grandeur, the glory, the, the, the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael, then, even though he had to wait another five years to go back, he was counting every day. I can't wait to return to Eretz Yisrael. Umimenu, and from this, nilmad ledoros, anachnu we, the descendants of Avraham, we learn throughout all the generations, lios nechsofim kamohu, to have that same love and that same anticipation like Avraham Avinu did. It's an amazing thing when you speak to people who go to Eretz Yisrael for the first time. It is so incredibly common for them to say, I got off the plane, and it just, there was something, it was intangible, but it, it felt like I was returning home. So I had that feeling. The first time I went to Eretz Yisrael, I was 13 years old. I wasn't religious yet. I was visiting my brother there, who was spending his third year of college in Eretz Yisrael. And I remember getting off the plane and feeling this way, and it was so strange. Then when I spoke to people about it, it was like, no big deal. Yeah, that's what everybody feels. Where does that come from? The Sefer Haredim tells us that's in the DNA from Avram Avinu. You go there once, you feel it, you connect. You can't even describe it, you can't articulate it, but it's there within you. So, what is this love? What is this returning to the lap of our mother? How does that work? What was the, the feeling of the Miraglim when they came back where it's described as, they despised, they rejected the land. What didn't they like about the land? Right? They were walking around and they saw the little stand selling falafel and they tried it. Ugh, this is disgusting. I would never want to bring Klal Yisrael and Tahina. It's gross. Where's my hamburger? But what does that mean they were disgusted with the land? Now the Kliyakr says, this is in the Parsha Shlach, it says, Shlach Lecha Nashim. The directive was, send men to scout out the land. Explains the Kliyakr, that was your first mistake. Moshe's first mistake was, if you want someone to do the job well, send women. Why women over men? So the Kliyakr says, because Nashim Hayu Machababos Haaretz, Women have this innate love for Eretz Yisrael, like we see with the daughters of Slavchat. 
And therefore, when Hashem was speaking to Moshe, Amar Kadosh Baruch Hu, Lafi daiti shani roa ba'asid hayoser tov lishloach nashim, hamachabubas is aretz. If you're asking my opinion, which you're really not, I would tell you, if you're going to send anybody, send women. However, if you send men, you never know what's going to happen. So what does it mean to love a land? We hear about it a lot in literature, love of land, love of country. But what does that mean? What does that mean returning to the lap of my mother? What does that mean that the Meraglim and Klal Yisrael despise the land, but yet the women love the land? What is all this talking about? Another question. The Gemara tells us, we referenced this Gemara a few weeks ago in the Drasha, that when we leave this world and we stand in front of the infinite creator of the universe, we're going to have to answer a few questions. <coughs> the first question is, Satav and Satav Did you deal honestly with people? Were you ehrlich? Were you straightforward? Kavata itim litora. Did you set time for learning? Was it a goal that you, that you really held to? Asakta bepiri verivia. Did you try to have children? Tzapisa Yeshua, did you yearn for the Mashiach? Did you look forward to redemption? Pilpalta b'chachma, and did you try your hardest in the learning of Torah, Havanta davar mitoch davar, to learn and, to, and to, to probe? Those are the questions, five different questions. Now, question one, two, three, and five, I totally get. Were you honest? Did you set time for learning? Did you try to bring more children into this world? Did you try hard in your learning of Torah? What's the question, Sapisil Yeshua? Were you looking forward to Mashiach? Let's say the answer is no. I was quite content. I lived a wonderful life. Sameach Bechelko. I'm happy with whatever Hashem gave me. I was learning every single day. I was doing mitzvahs all the time. Always involved with chesed. I wasn't yearning for Mashiach. I didn't want a better life. I was happy. I was satisfied. What's the big deal? Why are we supposed to yearn for Mashiach? But it's clear from the Gemara, and it's clear from the Rambam, when he has his 13 principles of faith, number 12 is, we believe that there will be a time when Mashiach is going to come, and redemption will be here, and the world will be one of clarity and wisdom and knowledge. No more wars, no more hunger. And the Rambam says, even though the Mashiach may tarry, even though he should have been here already, what's taking so long? But that's part of the mitzvah. We believe in redemption, and we have to long for redemption. Why do we have to long for it? This week's parsha is Tazriya Mitzorah. In Tazriya we have the metaphysical affliction of Tzeras. And the Gemara speaks about different things that a person would do, different averos that would bring on Tzeras. Yet there's a very strange pasuk where the Torah says, "Kisavo al Eretz Canaan, Asher no saying lechem lachuza." When you go into the land of Canaan, then this whole thing with getting tzeras either on your home, on your clothing, or on your body, it'll be relevant then. Explains the Ramban. It's clear from the Torah that before we get into the land, there's no such thing as a tzeras. Anybody living outside of Eretz Yisrael, you could speak all the lush and horror you want, and you'll never get tzeras. If anything, it should be the opposite. Tzeras is a source of tumah. It makes us impure. 
that should be outside of Israel, not inside Israel. Why was Tzaras limited to those who were living in Eretz Yisrael? Last question that we're going to sum up all the questions and hopefully discover the answer. There's a Gemara in Brachos that tells us, Rav Shem Bar Yochai, the great author of the Zohar, that he says there are three matanos tovos, there are three good gifts that Hashem gives the Jewish people. But they're only acquired through suffering. The only way to receive these gifts from Hashem is through suffering. What are these three things? Torah, Eretz Yisrael, and Olam Haba. To really have an acquisition in Torah, we have to push ourselves, we have to toil. The bracha we say before learning Torah is not God has commanded us to learn, rather it's la sok bedivrei Torah. The mitzvah is we have to push ourselves in the learning of Torah and then we'll accomplish. When it comes to olam haba, obviously to gain the next world, to gain eternity, it's all about working hard now. But the third one is Eretz Yisrael. In order to acquire Eretz Yisrael, that will only come through suffering. And we'll understand this on a couple of levels. The morale comes along, he explains, what does it mean, three good gifts? Usually a gift is good. We always like getting things. Now it's true, Shlomo HaMelech tells us, if you hate receiving things for free, then you'll live. But most of us are not on that level. Most of us enjoy getting things for free. So what does it mean, a good gift? And why are these three things only acquired through suffering? The morale comes along and he tells us, these are three things that are totally unnatural. These are three things where no matter how hard you try, based on what we're capable of doing, it doesn't make sense we'll ever acquire it. Only through suffering, only through pushing myself to the max, going way beyond my, my comfort zone, then I'm elevating myself, I'm, I'm turning myself into more of a spiritual being, and then I could be able to receive these spiritual gifts. So what's, what's spiritual about Israel? It's a wonderful land flowing with milk and honey. It's a place that we love and there's special mitzvahs we do there. To say that we have to suffer, we have to transcend that which is natural, to learn Torah and to understand it well, I get that. To say we have to suffer, we have to be challenged in this world, for the next world, I get that as well. Why do we have to go through suffering to acquire Eretz Yisrael? So, to quickly recap here, there are a few things that are bothering us. Number one, what is this love we're trying to have for Eretz Yisrael? Returning to the lap of our mother. Number two is, why did the, the spies... Why did they hate the land? What does that mean that the Jewish people despised Eretz Yisrael? Why were women better than men in that regard? Why are we obligated not only to believe in Mashiach, but to yearn for Mashiach? And why is it that only through Yisurim, only through, through real pushing and forcing and, and, and suffering, do we acquire the land of Eretz Yisrael? I heard an interview with Rabbi Beryl Wine, who's just really an amazing person, an amazing human being. 
And he said that he remembered exactly where he was. Right? There's always times in history where it's so big, you remember exactly where you were. We all remember 9-11, where we were standing, who were we talking to. See, they used to say we all remembered Kennedy's assassination. Now for many people, they weren't really around or conscious for that. When I shared this idea with my class about remembering 9-11, this is in the 11th grade, <laughs> I'm like, one second, I did a quick calculation, this is crazy, right? Things happened so long, it, it, it doesn't feel that long ago. But anyone who is alive during 1948 remembers exactly where they were. Rivera Wine said that he remembers walking to shul with his father, his father coming from Europe, and they, uh, they received the news that they declared a state. He said, every step of the way to shul, his father was crying. Tears that would basically, you know, have a boat float by. Just tears of joy. You know, it, we're, almost, we're almost accustomed to this reality. And that's true with all miracles. The Chassam Sofer says that, that when the Jews came from the, the desert into Eretz Yisrael, and they saw fruit growing on trees... They were blown away by that. Right? Honey, grab the camera. Look at this. There's something growing on a tree. <laughs> it's not falling from the sky like it usually does. This is incredible. We get accustomed to, to that which is miraculous. But people who had any exposure to life before Jews having more control in Eretz Yisrael, it was clearly a miracle. Rabbi Wine said that he also remembers when he heard on the radio... Uh, 1967, this is more, more modern history, he said he was living in Miami Beach at the time, he was a well-known rabbi in Miami for, for a while, and at the time, it was like 70, 75% Jewish. So in the radio, it's Wednesday of the Six-Day War, and he hears the, the famous line that was shared with the world, Har Habayit Be'adeinu. We've captured the, the Temple Mount. We have back the old city of Yerushalayim. He says that all the cars stopped, yeah, mostly Jewish people there, and everyone got out of the car with, with a, a combination of shock and just being overwhelmed with emotion, and they just hugged each other. Strangers hugging each other, seeing clearly the Yad Hashem. What's the point of everything, right? To take a step back, what is the point of life? So, it's, it's very complicated, but it's also very simple. Says the Mesilas Yisharim in the very beginning, when we look at life deeply, we'll see, Ki hashlemus ha-miti, true wholesomeness, rak ha-devekus bo yisborach, is only through connecting with Hashem. And he quotes from David HaMelech, King David, with his love and his passion, Va'ani kirvas elakim litov. For me, he writes, closeness to Hashem is the only and ultimate good. Acha sh'alti meis Hashem, the only thing I ask from Hashem. I don't even care about those other things, about health and parnasa. And I, 
All I ask from you is, shifti Hashem. I just want to dwell within your sanctuary. I want to be within your arms. I want to be that child imo in the lap of his mother. Big picture, everything we do is kirvas elokim litov. It's all about closeness with Hashem. Why is Eretz Yisrael special? What's the first mention of any land that has holiness in the Torah? What's the first place in the Torah that speaks about a land possessing Kedusha? So Moshe's first encounter with Hashem, famous burning bush, Hashem tells him, don't come any closer, first take off your shoes. Why? Because this is Admas Kodesh. This is holy land. And that land was not Eretz Yisrael. So what made it holy? Explains the Ramban. Because Hashem was telling Moshe, I'm here. My Shekhinah is felt, it's tangible, it's real. Therefore, this environment is holy. The Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael, the sanctity, the holiness, is nothing more and nothing less then we have the opportunity to have more of a kurva, more of a close connection and relationship with Hashem, because Hashem is more accessible. Why do we love Eretz Yisrael? It's not because it's our land. In HaTikva, there's a line, and although I love the song tremendously, and it brings tears to my eyes and it's beautiful, but there's a line that I don't think is really describing what our hope is. Odlo of the tikvatenu, what's our tikva? What's our hope? Liot am chovshi to be a free nation in our land. That's not our hope for Eretz Yisrael. Of course, we don't want to be slaves. Of course, we don't want to be living under foreign subjugation. But that's not the ultimate. What's the ultimate? It's David Melech. It's Kirvas Elokim. We want to be close to a Kadosh Baruch Hu. Eretz Yisrael is not the end. That's a means to an end. I love Eretz Yisrael because I love HaKadosh Baruch Hu and I love his Torah and I know it's more accessible, it's more tangible. I could reach it and grab onto it more in Eretz Yisrael than I can here. What does it mean that the spies and, and the Jewish people despise the land? It doesn't mean they hated it, the, the falafel. It doesn't mean it's, it's, it's just so dirty. There's so much dust everywhere. It means they, they didn't have that same appreciation for kirvas alakim. They didn't have that same wanting to come close to Hashem. And therefore they weren't willing to risk enough. Women throughout history, we know, they have more of that naturally. It's more innate, it's more part of their, their whole mahus, their whole essence. They have a higher level of bina. Oftentimes they have a higher level of bitachon. They weren't involved with the chayda egel, with the sin of the golden calf. They were the ones who brought out the, the instruments when they left Mitzrayim because they knew that we're going to be experiencing a lot of miracles along the way. We've got to be ready for singing and dancing with tambourines. The men didn't hate the land. They just didn't have a deep enough appreciation of that closeness with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. The women did. Why do we only acquire the land through suffering? Why is it something mystical? Because we could be living there but theoretically, you might be better living in Boca Raton, Florida. You might be better living in New York. That's a, 
That's a hard thing to say. <laughs> but, but there could be other places in the world where you're better off. Because if Eretz Yisrael is not an end unto itself, but it's a means to an end, so it depends. My environment, my community, the schools that I'm sending my kids to. Now what I'm saying right now may be viewed by some as total apicorsis. This is heresy. How could you ever possibly suggest that a person might be better outside of the land of Israel? Because Israel is an end. It's not an end. It's a means to closeness to God. Now, on the other hand, I do think that we are very comfortable outside of Eretz Yisrael, and sometimes it's not even on our radar. The idea of, if not now, but perhaps eventually, we don't even think about that. We're just in our own little zone here. We don't want to fall into the same trap as the, as the Jews in Worms, Germany did. We don't want to view this as, this is, this is our, our spot forever, we're fine here, we're just going to keep on building until Mashiach comes. We have no clue what's going to happen. Likely the future of the Jewish people is not here anywhere in America. Likely the future, and not that distant future, is in Eretz Yisrael. If you look at the numbers, you look at the numbers of Jews who were in Eretz Yisrael in 1948. There are about 800,000 Jews. To this day, there are about 6.5 million Jews living in Eretz Yisrael. And if throughout the world, there are about 14.5 million Jews altogether, which is a very hard thing to calculate, but even given that, that means we're getting close to having the majority of the Jewish population in the world living al-Admas Kodesh, living in Eretz Yisrael. That's an astounding thing. And I guarantee you, if we were to go back in time in the time machine to Pittsburgh in 1885 and sit there with these group of leaders who were deciding what Judaism should or should not be, and we were to tell them, guys, guess what? Crazy news. Do you realize that in not that long from now, the majority of the Jewish world is actually going to be living in Israel? Maybe there's no need to change the Siddur. Let's keep on davening for it. It might actually happen. Why do we yearn for Mashiach? The Rambam tells us it's the same idea. It's not because Mashiach is an end unto itself. We want Mashiach now. That's true but only for what that can accomplish. Says the Rambam at the end of Hilchus Malachim, Lo Mashiach, all of our great sages and prophets, why did they want Mashiach? Lo it wasn't because now we're going to be in control, now we're going to be the ones in charge, now we're going to l'echol v'lishtos v'lismoach, we'll eat, drink, and be merry. That's not what we're looking forward to Mashiach. It's not about Mashiach's here, Great, quickly, grab the beach chairs and the, and the Hawaiian punch and we'll, we'll now chill. Mashiach's here. Rather, We just want Mashiach for one reason and one reason only. So we could finally have Menuchas HaNefesh, we could have time and peace without craziness around us to learn and come closer to Hashem. It's all about that one thing, Kirvas HaLakim Litov. Closeness with Hashem is everything. Now, when the Gemara says we, we acquire Eretz Yisrael through Yisurim, not just do we have the morale who's telling us that means we have to transcend the, the natural to acquire something spiritual, but it's also a prophecy for the future. That Gemara that was written 1,500 years ago says the Sefer Haredim was actually telling us what the future would hold. 
Sefer Haredim in source number 18, he quotes this Gemara, and he says it's interesting to note that the discussion of a Molech and going into Eretz Yisrael are right next to each other. Why that juxtaposition happens to be, by the way, juxtaposition is one of Rabbi's favorite words. You ever notice that? <laughs> Two words Rabbis love using, juxtaposition and manifestation. Those are two words somehow got into the rabbinic lingo. But why the connection between a molek and then going into Eretz Yisrael? Explains the Sefer Haredim, it's very simple. Because the Gemara told us that we only acquire Eretz Yisrael through suffering. What exactly is this suffering? Just like when we first went into Eretz Yisrael, we had a Molech attack us on the way. So too in the future. When we have the Jewish people coming to live in Eretz Yisrael, will again attack Klal Yisrael. And likely that's referring to the Holocaust. It's very possible. We had Yom HaZikaron today, and if you just take a look at the basic numbers of soldiers that we recall their memory who've fallen in battle, we're totaling about 24,000 people. Now, 24,000 people who actually died in battle out of a country where you only have 6.5 million Jews altogether, if you think of just percentage-wise, and the people who were directly impacted, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, wives, and children, a large portion of the entire country of Eretz Yisrael has suffered greatly. Again, I think that's included in this philosophy or this prophecy of the Gemara. Eretz Yisrael does come through suffering. I remember reading a few years ago, there's an amazing uh, story by Rabbi Ari Khan. He, uh, he writes articles now and again, and he was a Talmud, he was a disciple of Rav Gustman, Rav Yisrael Zav Gustman in Eretz Yisrael, who was a tremendous Talmud Chacham, when he was age 20, he was asked to be on the base of Chaim Ozer, known as an Ilui. Uh, still living in Europe, he married the daughter of a Rabbi Meir Bassin. Rabbi Meir Bassin was also on the base but he passed away before the wedding, meaning his father-in-law-to-be passed away before the wedding. They got married, and it looked like he would have an illustrious career as one of the great Dayanim, the great Talmudic judges of Vilna, However, World War II obviously threw a monkey wrench into his plans. So the story of how he escaped is miraculous, hiding amongst dead bodies, hiding in a, in a pig pen for a while, things that, you know, a, a, an existence for years that we would never even imagine. But Baruch Hashem, he made his way to Eretz Yisrael, and he was, he was known. He wasn't well known because he kept to himself, and that was very much his whole way of living. No fanfare, no glitz and glamour. I do my thing. He had a small yeshiva in Rechavia, and he taught a few Talmidim. Thursday afternoon, though, he would give a sheer kloli. Sheer kloli is where it's open to the community. And you would have people come to that sheer from all walks of life. 
you'd have great Tamid Chachamim, you've had other students from different yeshivas, professors, lawyers, accountants, everyone would come to this year. There was one particular man, Professor Robert Amon, who later actually won a Nobel Prize award, but he would come religiously every week, and he was a big fan of Rav Guzman. In 1982, Israel is in war, and Professor Amon's son, Shlomo, is one of the soldiers that's killed in a particularly fierce battle. Rav Guzman hears about this, and he has the entire yeshiva join him to be Menachem Avel, to go and sit in the, in, the, in the shiva house. So he comes in with the yeshiva, and it's a big honor, and the professor is very, uh, very glad to see him. And he's there for a while, to the point where the professor turns to Rav Gustman and says, listen, I, I really feel bad keeping you so long. It's probably Kedai, it's worth it to go back to the yeshiva. I don't want to take away from learning. And Rav Gustman said, I have to share something with you that you probably never knew. He said that when I was in Europe, I had a son. We named him Mayor after my father-in-law. And they took him out of my arms and they killed him in front of my face. That's an image that I live with every single day, every single hour of my life. The only thing I had to remember Mayor was his pair of shoes that I took with me until eventually I had to give those away for food. And I couldn't even eat that food, he said. He said, I never had a chance to, to sit shiva for mayor. So I want to stay a little longer with you when we can sit shiva together. And Guzman said, I don't know for sure what's happening in the Olam HaEmes, but I have a pretty clear picture that your Shlomalah is coming in and my mayor is there to greet him. And my mayor is one of the, the, the men of the minion. But I'm sure that he's asking Shlomo to be Shliach Tzibor, to lead the minion. Mayor died al Pekidish Hashem. He died as a Jew. There's nothing more holy than that. Shlomo, though, not only died because he was a Jew, but he died as a Jew trying to protect other Jews. Rav Gusman himself, on every Yom Yerushalayim, Yom Yerushalayim is a, is a day we celebrate for the, the victory, the miraculous victory of the Six-Day War. So he would always go together with his wife. You know, he had a daughter who survived and grandchildren and Talmidim. He would go to a little parade they made for Yom Yerushalayim. And he would watch. There were kids there that were marching and singing Israeli songs. Someone of his stature, it wasn't a common thing to hang out at one of these parades. So once somebody asked him the question, why does the Rav think this is worth taking time off of yeshiva? It's a nice parade. We're all grateful for the tremendous miracle, but, but why are you taking time off yeshiva? And Rav Guzman said, it's very simple. We saw a generation of children who died. We take pleasure in seeing a generation of children who are dancing and singing in the streets of Yerushalayim. That's, that's worth the time. So, Odlo of the Tikvatenu. Perhaps segments of Klal Yisrael lost the vision, lost the hope. But Avram Avinu never lost that vision. When Hashem came to him and told him, Your children will live in Eretz Yisrael. 
And that was passed down as one of the central themes in Judaism. We don't need Eretz Yisrael to have a nation, but Yisrael creates goy echad be'aretz. It, it unifies us. It brings us to a higher level. Zechariah, the prophet, also had this vision. These are psukim, again, that if you were to read any other time in history, it, okay, we read about it, Mashiach, things that we believe in, but it's hard to really feel. Write Zechariah in the 8th chapter, Ko'amar Hashem Tzavakos. Listen very carefully to this prophecy. So says Hashem, Master of Legions, O Yeshvu Zekein Muzekeinus Berechovus Yerushalayim. How do you read these psukim and stay and stay sane and not get overwhelmed with emotion? There will be a time where old people Old men and women will be in the streets of Yerushalayim, ve'ish mish'anto be'yodu me'rov yomim. And you'll have old people walking around with their staff, with their cane, because they need help. And you'll have the streets of the city filled with young boys and girls who are playing, and not just playing, but destroying things, as they do so well. I remember when I was in Eretz Yisrael and I had the, uh, the cheder, the elementary school, my first question was, why do you have all these boys running around throwing stones at each other? Why don't they just give them like a basketball? It turns out in this particular place, there were no balls allowed. So what do you do? You don't have a ball? You throw stones. I remember that, that parenthetically, somebody asked of Shlomo Zalman Arabach, he had a complicated question whether his son should put on tefillin on his right arm or his left arm. He did different things with, with each hand. So the Shlomo Zalman asked the father, what arm does your son throw a ball with? Right? That would be viewed as the strong one, he would put the phone on the other arm. So the father said proudly, my son doesn't throw balls. The Shlomo Zalman said back, okay, what arm does your son hit somebody else with? If he's not throwing basketballs, likely he's punching someone in the face. We'll have Yeladim and Yeladot, Mesachim Berochavaseha, Komar Hashem Tzavako, says Hashem, Kiyapole Beene Sheiris Aam Hazet, Biyomim Haheim. He's speaking to the psychology of every single Jewish man, woman, and child for the last 2,000 years. It will be Yapole, it'll be a crazy thing to actually believe this. Gambe Ene Yapole Numa Hashem Tzavakos, but do you think it's something I can't handle? It's hard for you to believe it. You just got kicked out of England in 1290. You're standing there on the, on the, right by the boat, leaving Spain. You're, you're headed somewhere to Portugal. You're, you're, you're living in Eastern Europe with no future whatsoever. You're going to believe the prophecy of Zacharias and Hashem. You might have a hard time believing it, but trust me, you're going to return back to Eretz Yisrael. I will save my people from the east and from the west. The Havesi of some, and I will bring them. The Shachnu Yerushalayim. They will dwell within Yerushalayim. The Hayuli La'am. They will be a nation unto me. Al Admas Kodesh and Eretz Yisrael. The Ni'ela Lehem Lelakim Be'emes Ubetzdaka. And I will be for them a God in truth and sincerity. Meaning to say, of course I'm always your God no matter where you are. But once we have Klal Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael, it'll be a different avoda. I will be your God in truth. It's a different level of service. We love Eretz Yisrael and we yearn for Eretz Yisrael because we love a Baruch Hu and we love the Torah. 
we still David uvnei Yerushalayim irakodesh bimheira v'yameinu because Eretz Yisrael is far from what the ideal state. But there's so many amazing things happening to appreciate that we have the opportunity to go there to visit, to learn, to potentially make aliyah. Kirves elakim litov. It's all about closeness to Hashem in any way, shape, or form. A good Shabbos.